Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live lead. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. All right. Good evening, everyone. Happy New Year, by the way. Finally got 2020 over with. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I guess history will have its own view of what 2020 was like. I suppose it will. uh, Those. They'll spend a good while talking about coronavirus, right? For sure. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. We're so glad you're here, and thank you for joining us tonight. We ha- had just begun the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel, gospel of Matthew, uh, in the week before uh, Christmas, the day, well, actually just the day before Christmas, Thursday, Christmas Eve, we read the opening chapters of the book of Matthew, and uh, that's, that's the way our Bible reading schedule works. We go uh, here at Christmas, we, in our particular calendar of readings, we read the birth of Jesus of Nazareth in the Gospel of Matthew at Christmas time. Uh, then after we finish Matthew, we'll go right back to the uh, Tanakh, back to the Hebrew Scriptures. We'll finish up the reading of the Torah. We've already read Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. So then we will go back and pick up at uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy and finish the Torah. Then we'll come back and pick up the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. That's what we do. We we alternate between the Old Testament, the New Testament books of the Bible, and we read through the entire Bible every year. So, in case you're just joining us tonight for the first time, uh, we'd like for you to join with us on this journey through the Scriptures every year. We've been doing this for 20 years now, reading through the Bible every year, giving you a chance to hear every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, from Genesis to the maps, as they say. Uh, so, if you want to join with us, all you need to do is go to thebiblelive.com or BibleLive.com. You can put the word the on it or not uh, and go to thebiblelive.com and there you will find our website and you can go to the podcast and you can uh, scroll down and you can find the readings for this week. Uh, they're on, on the uh, website itself. Uh, it features the readings for this week. It shows what they are and you can just click there on the button on the first page and uh, hear the reading for every day this coming week. Matthew, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, they are already on the website for this coming week, uh, uh, January 4th, then through the week. So you can just start listening, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the Bible every weekday, Monday through Friday. And uh, we'll give you the weekend off and get to hear your preacher, go to your pastor and your church and your Sunday school classes and so on. But uh, Monday through Friday, you can read uh, here and listen with us as we read together through the 
uh, entire Bible. Then here on Sunday evening, we get a chance to uh, meet with you. My daughter Stacy is here with me, and uh, John is here in the studio, uh, ready to take your phone calls if you'd like to call in and be a part of the program and give a commentary, give a thought, ask a question, anything you'd like uh, as we make our way through the Scriptures. So this each weekend, then, we are discussing, tonight we'll be talking about, principally, we'll be talking about the uh, book of Matthew, we read chapters 10 through 26 this past week, Monday through Friday. So we'll be uh, uh, asking questions from those chapters of the book of Matthew. We'll be uh, discussing uh, the teachings there that, that, that we see in the life of Christ, according to the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, this one of his 12 disciples in his ministry, or his earthly ministry, was Matthew or his uh, uh Hebrew named Levi, and um, I guess that's where we get we wear Levi's to down here in Texas, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I doubt that's that's true. Well, the guy's name was Levi, that's for sure. Anyway, we got Matthew and Levi here. <laughs> I, I get off so easy, don't I? Oh, I just you know, right off on there no, and talking language about language and how it yeah. trickles down and names. That's right. Well, so anyway, Matthew ten through twenty six is our discussion tonight. But you can call in with any comment, any question, any uh, perspective that you'd like like to talk about, particularly biblically, or what it means to know God and walk with God, and, and your thoughts about uh, what God might be doing and showing us today. Anything on your mind, we'd love to hear from you here on the Bible Live program. Dad, I, I have a quick question. Let me give that phone number oh, real quick. Yeah, 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. Give us a call whenever you'd like, and we'll, uh, we'll bring you up on the air and let you be a part of the program. All right. I hope this doesn't put you on the spot, but I'm sure and I hope I haven't asked Oh, that's before. all right. You, you've never minded putting me on the spot. <laughs> that's right. Well, I just, you know, as a lot of people are starting the new year, I've seen several different, um, you know, read the Bible through me, uh, through, with uh-huh. me, through with me. Um, what was your um, decision on the way that you, uh, the, 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 how you chose to go through? Yeah, the scriptures. reading schedule. Yeah, the reading schedule, yeah. It's really odd about that. Um, back in 2001, it was just a few weeks after September 11th, actually, when we started our broadcast. Um, I'd been on the radio here with KSLR for almost a decade already, but they asked me to do something different, something new. And we, long story short, we kind of came up with the idea, what if we were to read through the Bible, let people hear the scriptures uh, each weeknight here on the radio? And, oh, that's a great idea, Native American reading the Bible to America. Wow. And so uh, they said, yes. Well, I'm kind of, I was at, at that time, I was kind of like the barking dog that finally caught the bus. <laughs> I didn't really know what to do with it. Once they said yes, I, I, they said, yeah. And I went, oh, no, what do I got to do now? And all of a sudden I realized that just coming up with the idea is one thing, but actually doing it is different. You you actually have to read the Bible. You have to record it. Yeah. You have to edit it. You have to – and um, I, I didn't – I hadn't done any of that. And I, and I had told them, oh, I need about three months. I need until January because the idea was to start – the readings in January, you know, Genesis and the year. And they said, no, we can't do that. You need to start in November. Okay. And, and that was about 
that was only about five weeks away mm-hmm. at the time. Okay. And I thought, oh, my lens, how am I going to do this? I, I, I've never done it before, and I don't have the Bible read. So here's what happened, Stace. I, I, at that time, I had just purchased a, a, a Bible. You remember, this is 2001, and that's long before a lot of the Internet and right. all the things we have now, smartphones and yeah. all of that. Uh, but I had just purchased a program to have the Bible uh, on my computer, and so my desktop computer, and so I had that. So I went to that particular program. I hadn't used it that much yet. And the first thing I had to decide was, okay, which version of the Bible do you use? Mm-hmm. And uh I really didn't have anything scientific to go on. Uh, one is better than the other or whatever, anything like that. I had grown up with the King James, of course, uh, memorized and so on, so many. But then Bill Bright, I'm uh, on the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, and Bill Bright was a friend and our, our mentor and leader. He had mentioned one time that he liked the New Living Translation. There's a new, the new modern, modern translation. I decided I wanted to do a good, clear modern translation so that because a lot of our listeners here in South Texas, for many, English is a second language. Mm-hmm. And I certainly didn't want to get, you know, complicated. And the King James can be a little uh, hard to understand, you know, unless you were born back there like I was <laughs> uh, when Jimmy and King James are the king. But anyway, I decided, well, okay, I'll use the New Living Translation. Well, it happened to be one of the versions of the Bible that was on this program. So then I had to think, okay, now how you do it? So I knew I was going to be on five days a week, Monday through Friday. So that's 260 days. And so I thought, okay, I'll just... Uh, and they had a little feature of the program was to... You could establish your own Bible reading program. Okay. And it, so I thought, hmm, okay. So I went in there and I... I decided to do the Psalms and the Proverbs as a separate section, mm-hmm. and we read that what we call the wisdom and worship segment of each reading is a, a little portion from the Psalms and the Proverbs, mm-hmm. and then we read Genesis of uh, the narrative readings from the narrative books of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. So I did it like that. I took the books of Psalm and Proverb, and I divided it up into two hundred and sixty even readings. Mm-hmm. And then I took the books Genesis through Revelation, uh, excluding Psalm the Proverbs, and I divided those up into 260 readings. Mm-hmm. Now, then I had to go back and move the boundary a little bit because I didn't want to stop the reading right in the middle of a story or something. So I moved it forward or backward a little bit to come kind of natural stopping places. Mm-hmm. And that it didn't get any more scientific than that. Mm-hmm. I just, that was all I knew how to do at the time. And so I, I divided, I divided it. I got established the readings. Then I printed them out. Then I came up here to the studios uh, here at KSLR. And uh, for the, about the next uh, Oh, for about the next year to year and a half, I guess, in that range, I worked overnight. I just read every night. What I finally ended up doing is I had only the thing I had to do was stay ahead of the program. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, when a given week for the program came up, I, I had to have that those program those readings recorded and edited. So and I had never I had never used uh, the I had never used the station uh, editing programs or anything. I had to learn how to do all of that stuff. Uh, I read them. 
in the studio in there, recorded them. Then I went through and edited them and added the music. I mean, it, it was, it was really a miracle stage because I'd never done <laughs> well, any of it. Gonna, and yeah. I just, and all I had to do was stay ahead of the program. Yeah. So for that first year, a year, a little over a year, year and a half or so, um, I did that. And then of course I had all the reading, then I had all the programs, uh, the readings recorded. And so what about the, the books, I mean, going from Old Testament to New Testament to kind of back? To oh, learning, going back and forth. I guess I decided that that would be better than just starting in Genesis and going mm-hmm. through. Um, and because to me, uh, my understanding of the scriptures and the way I'd, I'd come to understand them is that the, the, the Bible is a unified book. Mm-hmm. And as your mom always says, the, the Old Testament is yes. in the New Testament. Concealed. Uh, in the old, te- let me see. The, the New, New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. revealed yeah. And so I've always understood. I'd grown up. I've grown up in the Scriptures all my life, as you know, and I, I just felt like it is one book. So I liked going back and forth because that way you can you can balance that. Concealed, yeah. revealed. Yeah. You know, you can yeah. you can show when you're reading the Hebrew scriptures how the there's kind of Jesus, mirroring. there's the New Testament, yeah. there's the there's the the gospel, the redemptive narrative of God. It starts in, in as we've done in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, now, and then of course when you go to the New Testament, like we're in the Gospel of Matthew tonight, you'll see lots of times when it explains uh, Old Testament passages. For example, when uh, one time one thing we were talking about is Jesus as a teacher. And yeah. you wanted to speak to that a little bit tonight, possibly a little, about the the whole phenomenon of Jesus as this this remarkable, uh, in historic terms, mm-hmm. uh, this amazing teacher, mm-hmm. and the fact that he spoke in these parables. Well, of course, we know now that in in, in uh, Psalm, Psalm seventy eight. Yeah. It was predicted or prophesied. That's what uh, that's what Matthew tells us here. Uh, that it was predicted in Matthew chapter thirteen. He says that uh, Jesus spoke and taught in parables, which was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Psalm seventy eight. Uh, that he just a masterful teacher using these stories, common stories of common everyday life, uh, to illustrate. Uh, spiritual truth and principles uh, about God and about God's plan. So um, that's how I did it, and we we just started off. And, and when I tell the story, when I think back on it, it it seems so amazing, really, because I just I had never really done anything like this, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But but you just do it, you know. It's a funny thing about life, and it I think sometimes that. Life is about just just doing it. Just do what God puts in your hand, your heart, your mind to do. Just do it as best you can, and somehow He, yeah. He, you know, He makes something it, of it. It doesn't get more safe than if you're not sure what to do. Reading God's word, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I'm, laughs> it does not get more. You can't yeah, do it wrong. It's <laughs> pretty basic, I mean. isn't it? It really is. Well, but it's it been a, an amazing thing for yeah. twenty years now. We've been doing it's this. It's so. neat how I mean, in a in a way, we were to me that is what stands out the most in the Gospels and in reading Jesus. You know, the red letters mm-hmm. in Jesus's life and his. I mean, he's just such a good teacher. When I think back on. 
the teachers in my life and those that I and I love I love rhetoric, you know, the art of persuasion. I was a speech minor at one uh-huh. point at Trinity. Uh-huh. I love, uh, you know, the duty of rhetoric is to apply reason to the imagination for the better moving of the will. It's a quote mm-hmm. by Sir Francis Bacon that was told in my freshman speech class. And I've always loved just beautiful language. I've mm-hmm. loved um, persuasive language, that beautiful, that combination of imagination and art and, and logic and reason. And I think Jesus just is a mm. master speaker and teacher. And at the heart of it, of course, is, is not only that mastery of words and of language and of human understanding, but then at the, at the, at, but love all rooted and grounded. And he really loves his his pupils, you know, he's, he loves and, um, and so I, I've always just, uh, appreciated, you know, that part of, of who Jesus is, is, um, anyway, you know what you, the amazing thing is though? What? He didn't go to seminary. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, <laughs> How could he be a good teacher? Know, I mean, what authority could he possibly have? He didn't, he didn't go to Dallas. He didn't go to, uh, right. Princeton. You know, uh, no, it, it is remarkable. He, he, it's just an, he was an astounding person and just an amazing communicator, teacher. And he clearly know the, the, the crowds, uh, I think we have one of our quotes from the Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew. He taught as one who had authority, mm-hmm. uh, he, not as the other Pharisees or the Sadducees. He is one with authority. And there was a, there was something about his teaching. Now, I, I want to hurry up and say one thing that is basic to our consideration of Jesus here in the Gospel of Matthew or, uh, in any of the Gospels. And I, I sometimes get a little, unhappy at the sometimes I think when we think of Jesus as a great teacher, as a great leader, a spiritual, you know, whatever we think about him, we sometimes wipe it all out and erase it from our consideration or from in, in some ways from our admiration by saying, oh yeah, but he was God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I know, and, and don't worry, I'm not here to pick a fight with anyone. There are a lot of people whose vision and understanding of Jesus is, well, he was God. He was God. He wrote the Bible. Why would he know the Bible? He wrote the Bible, you know, and, and they'll say, and, and when they, it says that he knows certain people the way they were thinking, they was yeah, but he was God. He knew what everybody was thinking. And, and so a lot of times I think they somehow diminish. diminish what Jesus accomplished by explaining it away like saying, well, yeah, but he was God, you know, and, and if someone says to you, you know, follow Jesus, live like Jesus, let Jesus be your example. And we go, well, yeah, but that's not fair. He was God. Right. Yeah. And, you know, he had an advantage. And, and that's one of the fundamental things I I think I would like to put out for our listeners tonight to understand that uh, that view of Jesus uh, is oh uh, well, far be it for me to say it's wrong because I I'm not really kind of an argumentative or doctrinaire type person, but I I think it's not as satisfying. It, it is I don't think it's as clear to the truth close. Uh, as as the scriptures would tell us, um, Jesus 
was indeed God. He never he he is God incarnate, and he makes that clear to us. Even tonight, uh, there's a passage where he, he talks to the um, Pharisees. Now, we're, a lot of tonight's passage takes place actually in the last week of Jesus' life, mm-hmm. and he there is teaching, and he's talking about the fact that let me see where is it? I'm looking for it, where Jesus is talking about the fact that. Um, he he there it is in in Matthew chapter 22 verse 43 Jesus is teaching and he makes it clear that he is the Messiah. Now, last week, you and I established that d- Jesus did indeed claim to be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He, direct claims, indirect claims, and dramatized claims, uh, uh, illustrated, uh, calming the sea, uh, healing the sick, raising the dead. Uh, there, in those three ways that John Stott's book, uh, uh, basically, uh, Basic, Basic Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. Uh, he established that you know, Jesus clearly claimed to be God, openly, directly, indirectly, by taking on you know uh, uh, divine prerogatives, initiatives that only belong to God, like forgiving sins. Only God can forgive sins, and, and yet he consciously, intentionally said, your sins are forgiven. And then he went on to illustrate that he had that power because he could raise people, you know, he could give life to a, a, a paralyzed man, for example. Uh, but but the point is, is that Jesus did claim to be the Messiah. Now, in chapter 22, verse 43, Jesus teaches the uh, Sadducees that the Messiah had to be actually God. Mm-hmm. In the Son of God, and he makes it clear from using that passage where David calls the Messiah his Lord. David, King David, is addressing in Psalm um, 110. David is addressing the Messiah, and he calls him his Lord. So, so how could the Messiah just be David's son? He had, and so Jesus makes the point very clearly there that the he is the Messiah, and that the Messiah is. Uh, God incarnate. So uh, he clearly understood that he was God's son, but the the question becomes, how did Jesus know he was God's son? And a lot of people think of Jesus just always knew it. He's you, you show those pictures of Jesus sitting on Mary's lap as a little baby. And I remember doing this in Spain when we worked and ministered in Spain. Some great, great artists in Spain, of course. And you go to Madrid and you can go through many of these museums and see the works of these great artists. And all of them have a, a picture of the Madonna and the son of Jesus sitting on her lap. And they all have their, their halos on and their hair is combed and all that. And I remember one of those pictures, I looked at Jesus sitting on Mary's lap. And yes, it's the body of a baby sitting there looking out at you from the picture. But if you put your fingers up and you form a little square and you just put it on Jesus and you know, outline just his head and you're looking at it, if you were to put a cigar in his mouth, it, it would be totally natural. It, it, it looks like... Yeah, he's a baby, but um, he's got the wisdom of the ages in his face, you know, because, and a lot of people think of Jesus that way, that it's called the, the, the Clark Kent view of Jesus, that he, he, he looked like a man on the outside. He was Clark Kent on the outside, but he knew that under that suit, he, in those nerdy, geeky glasses, that he knew that he was really God's son because he, he remembered back when he used to sit with his father on the throne and 
order the angels around and so on. And the idea is that Jesus, and that's not the view, the New Testament view of Jesus. Jesus was entirely and totally a human being from the time he was a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he gave up his life on the Calvary. He walked as a human being. He was a, uh, you know, he went through the nine months of gestation. He was born. He was a little infant. He wet his bed. He pooped. He cried. He uh, nursed at his mother's breast. He was a toddler. He played with the other kids. He he was a normal little uh, Hebrew Jewish boy. Um, the only difference the New Testament makes about Jesus is that he did not have an inherent, irrevocable, irresistible tendency to sin, the the sin nature, right. the, the, because like he how, was conceived right, by yeah. the Holy Spirit. I like how you said it would be like a dog's tendency to bark. Yeah. Or a, a, a moo, a, a cow moos. Yeah, yeah. We as humans, we sin. We Just like a dog barks, yeah. we cannot help it. We have that nature. And That's our tendencies to right. selfishness and sin. And then, but the point is that Jesus didn't have that, but that that's not an advantage. Adam didn't have that either, right. but he still sinned. Right. And so the point is, he is the last Adam, as Paul calls him, the second Adam. And he lives out his life as a man of faith. He came to understand. I'll answer that question when we come back. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, it's good for the Gospels here to get this understanding. Uh, especially Matthew, you know, the, the Gospels in themselves. Right. Because I want to ask a question. Maybe some of our listeners would like to, maybe you'd like to chime in on this. The question is, how did Jesus know that he was God's son? And how did he learn that he was the Messiah, the son of God? If you'd like to give us an answer to that question, call 210-340-9585. 210 210- Three four zero ninety five eighty five, and the Bible Live broadcast will be right back. Don't go away. We'll be back. Love our God is an awesome God. All right. Thank you, John. That's great. Great choice. Both of those. We're glad you're with us still. This is The Bible Live. Uh, my name is Soapy Dollar. I like a bar of soap with a Y and dollar just like money. And my daughter Stacy is here with me. John is ready to take your phone calls if you'd like to give us a call. 210-340-9585. He's sitting there shrugging. He has nothing to do. So let's put him to work, folks. Give us a call. 210-340-9585. We were talking about Jesus uh, as he walked on planet Earth during his earthly ministry, uh, fulfilling his role as the Messiah, the Son of God incarnate. And we were talking about uh, how did Jesus learn, how did Jesus know that he was indeed the Messiah, that he was the Son of God? How did he learn that? What was the process and what was his experience? And uh, I mentioned that most most people, I think, if we're if we're believers, if we have pondered God and Jesus, the Son of God, what it would be like to be God's Son, uh, most of us have wondered at some point in time. Wonder what that was like. Did he did he remember back when he was in heaven and you know told the angels what to do and so on and it just was down. Was it kind of a Clark Kent 
Superman sort of thing, or or what was his experience? And I, I think Jesus and Jesus Himself makes it clear in the Gospel of John. He says, "I don't, I don't do anything of my own initiative, my own prerogative, my own um, authority as God. And I, 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 I don't act of my own." independent prerogative and initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. You look in John chapter 5, there's two or three times in that chapter, and there's six times in the first five chapters, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, I I don't do anything of my own authority, my own power, my own initiative, my own prerogative as God. I only do, I, I live entirely, totally submissive to and dependent upon the Father. And so, the idea that he was God and he was just out there doing his thing. No, he was the perfect man of faith. And he he learned. How did he learn that he was the Messiah? Well, surely Mary and Joseph told him uh, about the angels. They told him about her, uh, what the angel Gabriel's message to her was she's going to bear a child. Uh, when he got to be seven or eight years of age, I'm sure, like all of us do with our children. Remember when you were younger, we told you about, well, your dad grew up at Boys Ranch and, you know, we took you there and mom, you met your grandparents. And so I'm sure Joseph and Mary told Jesus about his past and about the angels and the shepherds and the, and Bethlehem and the trip down to Egypt. Uh, you know, he was a tiny two year old when they took him and, so they explained these things to him, and they showed him that you are the Messiah. You are that long-awaited. Our people have been waiting on this Messiah for for centuries. This 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 one who comes from God to deliver His people and to and to atone for our sins. And you're the you're the Messiah. And then, of course, remember Jesus was a little Jewish boy, so he went to synagogue. Every week, every day, uh, he'd teach him the scripture. He'd memorize the book of Deuteronomy, and in all likelihood, and and he began to see, wow, what mom and dad said is true. Mm-hmm. I, 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 he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of the line of David. My mom and dad are both descended from David, uh, and and on. I'm, I had to go down to Egypt. I went down to Egypt. I can't. Now we live in Nazareth, and now we. So he began to see all of these things that were true of him. And I think that by age 12, it looks to me very clearly that by age 12, Jesus knew he had internalized who he was. Mm-hmm. And he and, he may not know all the answers about every detail of what that was going to mean for him in his earthly, right. earthly life, but he did step into the identity of, I must be about my father's business. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't talking about Joseph and the carpentry shop. Right. So then he... And so that and in the next years till he was thirty, yeah, and he, he built upon it. He learned about it. He he learned more of the scriptures, and, and I think that Jesus finally just came to understand who he was, and the time came for him to initiate his ministry. He went to his second cousin John the Baptist for all decency, so we can do all things in order as they should be, as we talked about last week in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, and Jesus walked out his walk as a man. Go ahead, honey. You were going to... Oh, it's kind of very similar to our experience today. I mean, when I am... It, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's actually a. Pretty, you got to believe some pretty amazing things right. about yourself. Exactly. Actually, exactly. you're a child of God. Your exactly. sins are all forgiven. You're going to heaven someday. Yeah, the right. Holy Spirit dwells within you and is yeah. guiding your life. And you're right. you're you're having to believe these things right. and walk and live right. consistent with those. Yes. Well, that's what Jesus 
Go ahead. I think that's the point you were (laughs) going to make. Yeah. And the more that you do walk in that by faith, the greater your understanding of it is, the more you're affirmed in it, Mm -hmm. the more you grow and mature. Who who affirms you? Uh, well, the fruits, and, and that's in mm-hmm. Matthew. The, the effects. The effects. But God the, himself. And God himself. When, he, when you trust yeah. God, yeah, you, you become encouraged. God encourages right. you. He acts. He comes through, and you're going, wow, that works. That's right. And, and yeah. I think and Jesus, of course, had that same growing relationship with his father. Right. Uh, and there was an intimacy. I, I, to me, it is so beautiful. I find that much more compelling intellectually. Biblically and even emotionally, I found that as I internalized that view of Jesus as the Messiah, the man, the perfect man of faith, not only the incarnate Son of God, he he was God, he never ceased to be God ever. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, he was indeed God, but he voluntarily yeah. emptied himself, right. Paul and says. I think, and, I, and not only is it satisfying, not only is it so just beautiful and tender, it also... I mean, why would the reason that we would respond in faith to him and the reason that I would, uh, you know, want to believe that is because I need him. I need a savior. I need a Messiah. He didn't need us. Right. (laughs) But what does it say? He did it because we are his joy, the joy that lay before he loves us. He, he, he didn't do it because he needs us. He didn't do it because he wouldn't be God. Otherwise he Mm -hmm. did it because he loves us so much. He wants us. He stayed in, stayed in the saddle of faith. He stayed there. He was faithful. He saw it through. And the primary motive was, for us, for the joy that was set before him and the kingdom of God, the God's people, the redemptive, t- the the redeemed. Yeah. He, we were his motivation. And I, I don't know, I just find that so compelling and so beautiful and so powerful and encouraging mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Like you said, we now it's up to us to walk our walk of faith, to be God's people, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be indwelt and empowered by God's spirit. It's our turn now to walk out by faith, our legacy, our heritage of faith in Christ and see what God will do. Uh, And that brings to mind that verse where Jesus said, in the same way the father sent me, so I now send you go do the same, you know, and we'll see that Uh, we don't quite get to that point in the gospel of matthew this week uh, i think when we get to chapter 28 is when we see the great commission where jesus sends his disciples to do to reach the world to take this message of redemption but uh what we can do tonight and by the way folks 210-340-9585 i'd love to hear from you uh, we're going to throw out some questions we're going to just kind of go through the gospel of matthew uh starting in chapter uh, chapter 10 that's where we started our reading this past week. And we're going to just kind of comment on some of the things that Jesus taught. Maybe ask some questions as well to get you involved. If you'd like to give us a call. Uh, let's start in chapter 10 there in verse 14. Jesus gives a great deal of time there and attention. We'll see in that chapter an example, an example of the attention he gave to preparing his disciples. And, and that is a very interesting phenomenon, Stacy, because Jesus came not only to 
do a work himself as the Messiah, Mm -hmm. the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him, who takes away the sin of the world. He had a part in the redemptive plan of God. He had to walk out a perfect life of faith and trust, obedience, submission to the Father. Then he who knew no sin would would become sin for us. He would take our sin upon himself. He would be killed. He would die. And he he knew that, particularly in the latter parts of his earthly ministry, he began to tell his disciples that. But one of the key elements, though, was he understood that he needed to pour his understanding of God and God's redemptive plan and his identity as the Messiah. He had to transmit that to a, a group of people who would be key to take <laughs> this is beyond my imagination to understand how he thought this through or thought of it but he he needed these disciples because they were going to be here after he was gone mm-hmm. and you would think he would have gone to the nearest seminary he had got the the best and the brightest he would have gone and found that he would have had but but he took fishermen and and tax collectors and he found a group of men twelve of them that were now we we're pretty hard on the disciples sometimes don't you think we're kind I don't of well, know. they're so dull they're so slow <laughs> no, I'm not uh, well I'm not either <laughs> but I think I remember a time when we thought well how could they possibly well what, what's with these guys don't they get it you know but we we don't. We forget that we are looking at it 2,000 years later, yeah, yeah. and we've got the benefit of their experience in the Scriptures. But here the, in their place, the, Jesus chose it. He prayed all night before he selected his disciples. He prayed all night, and then he made his choice, and he invited them to follow him, and they did. And a primary objective of his earthly ministry was not only preaching to the people and presenting himself as Messiah to Israel, to the people. But it was the these disciples pouring, being with them, living with them, eating with them, uh, going through ministry experiences, threats, dangers, and pleasures. I'm sure they had some a lot of laughter and a lot of good times as a group and so on. I'm, I'm just thinking of this as, as a group of men traveling together and so on. Uh, that he gave a lot of time to... to teaching them. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter 10. He sends them out on this. Uh, two times we see him sending them out on a little missionary project. He sent them around to teach and uh, to preach the gospel. Uh, you know, they were, they were, in some ways they became his advanced men. They were teaching and presenting. And then, and then of course, Jesus would come later to some of these towns and they were, they could gather a crowd because they had already told them, you know, Jesus is coming, he's going to, and so on. So, uh, but he tells them to, if they go to a village and they reject the message about the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. about God's kingdom on earth established, uh, what did Jesus tell the disciples to do as they left that village? And it says, shake shake the dust off of their feet. It's not a kind. It's not the kind of thing we do today, uh, but it was a sign of demonstrating a separation from those who rejected the Messiah at some level. Some people may know more about that particular practice, but they were told to shake the dust off their feet as as they prepared and they the way for Jesus as they preached about his coming to 
teach them and who he was, that if they rejected the message that they were to shake, shake the dust off their feet. Um, then, of course, in chapter 11, it, re, it re, returned to a little episode about John the Baptist. What do you make of this experience, Stacy? In John 11, John the Baptist has been put in jail. Mm-hmm. And remember, John is the one who... Uh, who was predicted by Elijah the prophet in, in uh, that not a, by Elijah in Malachi he was predicted that one like Elijah uh, would come before the Messiah came one would come to prophesy before him and to to prepare the way for the Messiah and that was clearly the role of John the Baptist his second cousin born probably about uh, about a year before Jesus was born and John the Baptist indeed did. Uh, prepared. He drew great crowds, huge crowds, and then he turned his entire ministry uh, over to Jesus. He said, go follow him, even his own disciples. And so um, we, we talk about John the Baptist, but he had this moment. John had already pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, and then all of a sudden he had some doubts. It looks like doubts. If we interpret, he said, go ask, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another one? Are we to look for another? And and so his disciples, John's disciples, come to Jesus and they ask him, you know, John has sent us to ask you this question. Are you the Messiah? And do you have it right there? Are you looking at it? Yes. I'm in that passage. And Jesus answered him by saying what? Is this where the, the, they played the... the John's disciples come to Jesus and say, are you the Messiah or are we to look for another one? And Jesus said, well, go tell John, and this is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 10, mm-hmm. uh, go tell John that the blind see, the lame are healed and walk and so on. Right. Do you have it right there? I'm just... Not, not the. Okay, let me see. I, I let me get it right in front of me, so we can read the exact words. Okay. And I'm kind of wondering about your your take on this incident because it kind of surprises us. Um. Oh, okay, let me see, John. Uh, let me find it. John eleven verse ten. There you go. Um. Jesus, yeah, Jesus told them, "Go back to John and tell him what you have heard yeah. and seen: the blind see, the lame walk." Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Okay. So what do you think of this whole incident? In other words, when John asked him, "Are you the, what does Jesus do? He points to the scriptures. Because all of these, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, those were predicted that the Messiah would bring healing, the lame would walk, the blind would see. And those are, he's pointing to the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah chapter 35, chapter 42, he's he's pointing to the scriptures to answer uh, John, the question that John asked through his disciples. Uh, And so what do you make of that, the idea that John at this stage, I, I guess John is in prison, he may have a, Maybe he has some kind of idea that probably he's going to die in prison or something. Or I don't know what John might have. I can't get into his psyche on this in, in that way. What do you make of that? Did he just have second thoughts? Did he have doubts? No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that he would 
to me, it sounds like he would just be curious what Jesus would say, how he would, how he would answer that. And my hmm. guess is, as a fellow kind of teacher, as a fellow, John would have received that and thought, "Oh, perfect! That's 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 that's." The perfect answer. That's exactly right. That's exactly That's exactly what, the, what the Messiah. And I'm say. sure John heard that and went, "I got him. That's I right. got." Him. Yeah. Well, it says when John's disciples were leaving, Jesus talked about John to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind, or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people. No. People with expensive clothes lives in palaces, live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. That's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And that's us, Stacy. Mm-hmm. Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Well, that's that's me specifically. I'm the least person. <laughs> As Paul says, I'm the greatest of, of sinners. Uh, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. But before John came, all the prophets in the law of Moses look forward to the present time. And if you are still willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come to prepare the way. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and, to un- and understand. Amazing guy, John the Baptist, and, and love, amazing yeah. answer. And and then it goes on that um, we played the wet heat. What can I compare to? What can I compare? This generation is like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends, and then there's that. Uh, I love this saying. Right I here. Did, yeah, we uh, we played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. And um, I remember it was always gym, complaining. Right. <laughs> all, in other words. Uh, you're kind of darned if darned if you do, darned if you don't. In yeah. other words, I, I'm I'm giving you exactly what you want, and and you're not you're not satisfied, you're not happy, you're you're going to see something wrong with it. And then I get we sang wedding songs and you didn't you dance. Didn't. We sang funeral for songs and you didn't mourn. So right, it's, it's like, like we can't do anything right. I remember Tim. Uh, I listened to a Tim Keller um, message on this, and he said it's so human. It's so typical of a child. Uh, and he compared it. His son had a birthday party, and the the, the child was just determined to not be happy at the party. <laughs> you know, and you've all, as a parent, you kind of have maybe experienced that when your child is just no matter what i'm just going to be stubborn and unhappy i'm not going to like this right and that's an important <laughs> yeah. thing to bring about i don't know why i'm laughing I, I it's cute in a child but when we grow up to be adults we're supposed right. to go beyond that right you know right. i guess and then i guess when and basically uh what jesus the point of it is is they were upset because they wanted to be the the music player they don't want to have to respond to whatever is being played. What they really want is control. Yeah. And, mm, uh, interesting. And that was kind of, and, and so Jesus is bringing out, you're, you're never going to be satisfied with responding to me. You want to be essentially your own master. Which Very is, interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Very interesting perspective. Well, chapters uh, 10, 11 now in chapter um, 
let me see who else. Oh, yeah, we see something else in chapter 11 that's kind of interesting because in, on into chapter 12 is that this is one of those um, those indirect claims of Jesus. His disciples uh, are going, they're walking, they're traveling, and this is, uh, and they, as they go through a field, a uh, wheat field, they, as it was listed in, in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, as it was told in, in Leviticus and the Old Testament, that the people who had farm uh, um, wheat or grain in their fields, they were to leave some grain standing on the periphery for travelers and for the poor. And it was called gleaning, and they were supposed to leave it there so that people who are traveling uh, or, or the poor could, you know, break off some grains of wheat or rye or oats or whatever, and they could have something to eat. And so as they were traveling, Jesus' disciples did that, and the they came under criticism by the Pharisees for harvesting grain on the Sabbath. They were, they were saying, you're breaking the Sabbath day because you're working on the Sabbath, uh, as they were breaking off heads of wheat grain and eating them as they walked through the field. And, and Jesus answers that, uh, clearly saying, I, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, and telling them that they, they were not interpreting correctly, that in fact God had and created the idea of gleaning, leaving some of the grain on the field for the poor, for those who traveled. And, and that he was rightly interpreting, he says, because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And very, there you go again, that, that teaching ability that mm-hmm. he goes right to the core of the problem. Yeah. Uh, and he then, he goes right to the core and he, explains it uh, to them. So we see that Jesus there in chapter 12. Uh, Then he heals a demon-possessed man who could not see or speak. uh, And and it brings up an incident, what we call the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus pronounces that there is one sin that a human being that can commit. In chapter 12, verse 24 through 31, unforgivable. Jesus explains that there is an unforgivable sin. And uh, I'd like to put that out there. We're going to take a break in just a moment for any of our listeners. What is that sin that cannot be forgiven? Now, don't confuse this with the sin that is called the sin unto death. If you look in uh, 1 John chapter 5, there is a sin unto death that's mentioned. And I'm not asking about that. I'm asking for... The sin, uh, 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 the unforgivable sin that cannot be forgiven. What is that sin? It's called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? If you can give us an answer and talk with us a bit about it here on the Bible Live, give us a call 210-340-9585. What was the, and is in fact, the unforgivable sin? Don't go away. The Bible Live will be right back for our final segment. What a wondrous time in spring when all the trees pass it on. Boy, do you remember that song when you were a kid, old John? Oh yes. All right, good. I then I'm not. I'm not so old then, because <laughs> I remember it too. Uh, that great, great old song. Um, 
Pass it on, pass it on. Church camp and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was really big back then. There was the early, early days of uh, what we call Christian. Well, it wasn't Christian music because we always had hymns and all, but the modern idea with guitars and drums and remember when it was when that first began the idea that that a lot of churches. Oh, we don't want guitars in our, our our drums. We don't want uh yeah, that there was a big yeah, that was a big shift. Uh now nobody has organs and pianos. It's all about <laughs> it's all about guitars and, okay. and drums and it's it's uh it's funny the way life works. Well, welcome back everyone. This is our third segment for the Bible Live program. We're waiting on a phone call if anyone would like to call and explain to us what was the question we asked what is the unforgivable sin it's called blasphemy of the holy spirit by jesus in chapter 12 Uh, if you have a thought about that would like to help clarify that for us or give a thought about it we'd love to hear from you 210-340-9585 we're going to kind of move right on now through the book of matthew as quickly as we can we're going to try not to get tied down too much although it's difficult some of these things are really really beautiful and powerful but it's an example of how jesus did indeed teach in parables and matthew points that out that that was to be a characteristic of the uh of the messiah and according to psalm uh, 78 verse 2 that he would speak in parables right. well and we see the and, go ahead and I'm, he came as a i mean his his he was a rabbi i mean he was a teacher his disciples called him teacher <laughs> exactly right yeah. and uh, a brilliant teacher by all mm-hmm. accounts at mm-hmm. least even uh, even those outside the faith uh, history even say well he was a great religious teacher right uh, no doubt about it <clears throat> well <clears throat> But it wasn't his original. He was wasn't. I'll be quick to say though that it wasn't his own original teaching. Right. He taught Torah, as my friend Jim used to say. Jesus taught Torah. He yeah. just taught the scriptures. Right. Uh, very few unique, personal, private ideas. He taught what the scriptures said right. uh, clearly, and uh, and you can see that anytime you hear Jesus, you he. Uh, quote Jesus anytime he got in trouble, got under pressure, when they squeezed him out came the scriptures. You know, he uh, he was he loved God's word, uh, the scriptures as as they knew them in that time. And, and, and he, he spoke from them. And he certainly embraced the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you when you talk about, I guess, maybe this kind of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. um he would not have been, uh, of course, obviously accused of that. In other words, he, well, I don't want to answer too much of the question, but <laughs> he he allowed. Uh, well, no one's calling, so go ahead if right. you'd like. Well, he certainly, uh, by faith, right, um, taught the Torah and stepped in and, and received God's word in his life. I yeah. Mean, absolutely opened and embraced the Holy Spirit. And he was life. dependent upon the Holy Spirit because he yes. he depended on the Holy Spirit to guide him personally, to guide him and direct yes. his steps in his life, in his moments, his experiences that he had. He was led by, remember, he was conceived by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. He was led by the led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We read about that the other day in Matthew chapter 4. The Holy Spirit is guiding and he's trusting the Holy Spirit even even in the lives of his disciples. Mm-hmm. He's teaching them as best he can, but they're not getting it. 
but he doesn't get all frustrated and angry and mad. And he says, you know, well, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to lead you into all truth. You know, and mm-hmm. so he's trusting God's spirit working in him, through him and with him and around him. Uh, perfect man of faith, as I say, and that's going to be a great model for us. Right. And then that great, that role of the Holy Spirit, one of that I remind about Eliezer. And- Eliezer, yeah. yeah. Remember that the Holy Spirit, Jesus taught us clearly that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he's not going to glorify and speak of himself. He's going to exalt Christ. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the new birth. He's the one that draws us to Christ. He shows us our need for the Savior and, and draws us and shows us the Redeemer. And he really is the great bridge. I mean, he is, he goes and finds the bride yeah. and in turn, he yep. exalts Christ. And we pointed so, that out when we were reading about Abraham yes. in Genesis. Eliezer was sent by Abraham, the father. He was sent to find a bride for Isaac, the son. Mm-hmm. So Eliezer went and found uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, that's right. Yeah. And brought, and so he, in that sense, he was a picture of part of the work of the Holy Spirit, that he is the one who finds, he's out bringing us, bringing the bride of Christ to, yeah. uh, to the, to the Redeemer. So before and, we say too much more, I think Franklin. Okay. Uh, maybe he's going to answer that question. I just kind of gave up and said no one's it. answered, so you can answer <laughs> it. Let's go and see what Franklin is going to add about. Oh, well, he might want to answer that question about the unforgivable sin, uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or he might have something else on his mind as well. Hi, Franklin. How are you this evening? Probably lost him. He's calling back. Huh? Oh. Good evening, Victor. I think we lost you. Franklin. Okay, He's we lost back. Franklin. We'll <laughs> call him back. I mean, Oh, he can call us back. Right. What'd you say? Right. Oh, he's there. All right, we got him now. Let's go. Hi, Franklin. How are you? Glad you came back to us. <laughs> I'm so, so great. I don't know. My phone, I'm much better than my phone because I don't go in and out. All right. Good for you. And what do you anyway, want to talk I about? To, well, a couple of things, actually. Uh, one, your question of uh, the unforgivable sin, and that would be uh, taking the Lord's name in vain, which is actually uh, uh, speaking. It's not just cursing or anything. It's, 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 proclaiming uh that you're representing god uh and doing it falsely uh and uh, uh misrepresenting god uh that that's that's the big one if i'm not mistaken well that that is indeed a sin we have the 10 commandments thou shalt not take the name of the lord your god in vain and you you're really touching on what the essence of that command is it's not just saying the word god or using uh yeah. in in a yeah, very disrespectful it's way misrepresenting or, god yeah it, that, that's not what it means in it god's means, name that aren't god's work yeah speaking in god's name or acting as if you're a believer when you really you know that you're representing god but that is a sin but that's not the unforgivable sin. Even ah, that can be forgiven. <laughs> Close, he calls it the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Take another shot at it. What do you think? How? Why would that be unforgivable? Uh, it would be uh, basically trying to put yourself in God's position. Uh, what is, what is denying... the, let me ask you a question here. What is... 
what is, we just talked about it a little bit before you came on the air. I don't know if you heard it, but what is the role of the Holy Spirit now in the church age? Now that, you know, when Jesus lived, he, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come to you and he's going to speak of me. Yeah. What is the role of the Holy Spirit today in our world today? What is he, uh, it, what is the primary says, role? A comforter and a guide and uh, one that uh, facilitates uh, God's work in this world through us. What does he do? Um, what is the role of the Holy Spirit toward the unbelievers? But, uh, toward toward the unbelievers? Outside the faith. What is the Holy Spirit? How does he act toward those who are outside the faith? What is his role in their lives? He acts as a lighthouse to try to bring them to the faith to uh, try to uh, convince them to uh, come to Jesus in repentance. Exactly right. Uh, he is the primary, he's the agent of the new birth, Jesus says in John chapter 3. He's the one that shows yeah. us our need of a Savior and brings us and points us to Jesus, the Savior. So if I reject that primary role of the Holy Spirit, I, yeah. I'm rejecting the only means of forgiveness is the Messiah, and so, therefore, mm -hmm. it becomes an unforgivable sin. If I reject the gospel, it's unforgivable because that's the only that's the only means. That's the only true. And, and the Holy Spirit is also the messenger between us and Jesus. Right. Um, he relays Jesus's wishes to us and 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 our uh, uh, desires and needs uh, from us to Him. So you can see clearly there that in a way. Uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. See, that's what the that's what the that's what the uh, Pharisees were doing. Jesus did this miracle, delivered this man from demons, and they said, "Oh, well, he got his he gets his power from Satan." So they were rejecting yeah. they were rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit that that he was doing through Jesus, and so therefore. They could not receive the salvation that Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit. That was an unforgivable sin. Yeah. 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 yeah, very good. Yeah. I, I think and, we're in the we're kind of in the same ballpark with it, uh, but I, I think we're kind of in agreement about that, right? What What was your second? Yeah, I, 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 yes, yes, it, and of course it it uh, has everything. You turn over one leaf and you find a a whole pile beneath it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but. Uh, that that brings me to the topic of shoes. Shoes, <laughs> and, I like shoes. Shoes. It's very interesting in the Bible. Uh, in Psalms, I don't know. I think it's fifty-seven where David's talking, and I will cast out my shoe over uh, uh, Moab or Edom. Uh -huh. Yes. And uh, if you if you, it's still in present in the Middle East today. Uh, remember when uh, Saddam Hussein was overthrown and they had their statue there and people were beating on it with their shoes? Uh-huh. Uh, right. It's the worst insult that you can give for some reason. Uh, I, I I would like to find out a lot more information about that. But when Jesus uh, tells his disciples as they go out two by two uh, to uh, brush the dust off your sandals of that place, and it would be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah in the final day. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot to that. 
Uh, I don't. I'm not an expert on shoes, <laughs> but well, not me either. But if you consider the fact uh, that everybody's animals were running around all over the place, and when you were walking sure. through all that, nothing could be more vile. And that's why the washing of the feet was such an important uh, uh, custom, uh, because yeah, that was. See, <laughs> I mean, I- really. It's funny you say that because, see, I grew up on a ranch up in West Texas. And yeah, me too, we, in South Texas. <laughs> we'd go out and, and feed the cattle and milk the cows and yeah, feed the hogs. There's pasture patties everywhere. And when we came, yeah, and when we came to school, we had to leave our boots out in the hallway. Because yeah, <laughs> you you can kind of smell West Texas when you drive up through all them. Yeah, you can. It's not. It's not just the dust. It's so, not just the dust. Yeah, so I know you what you're talking about. That's bad. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, well, imagine those the, those cities and villages. They must have stunk to high heaven, and especially Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. All the the animal sacrifices and all the whole place must have smelled like an abattoir. Well, thank you for bringing that image to our our minds tonight. <laughs> well, sorry about that, but no, you know, I think you're you exactly think right, though. But shoes are quite an an imagery in in the Bible. We're told yes. that we uh, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. You, in the, yeah. your, your your we're talked about in Ephesians. It talks about your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, shoes, shoes, and remember, yeah. you're talking about you put on the, the boots of of, of uh, uh, righteousness to stand yeah. uh, against the enemy. And you remember in the vision of the uh, of the what, what was the name they gave to the one who Boaz who That's purchased right. uh, uh, the kinsman redeemer. Oh yes, the that, that was the, the past the shoe. The kinsman yeah. redeemer, yeah, that that yeah, part yeah. of that part of that, that was yeah, redeem involves shoes. Well, good. There, there, there's got to be. I wish I wish your friend Jacob was was yeah. oh, speak to this yeah. because. Yeah. He would have so much knowledge on that, uh, I'm sure. I'll tell Jacob uh, his next book needs to be a book about shoes. <laughs> yes, and, and in the Middle East. Yes, All that right, would Franklin. that would be lovely. Very okay, good. God bless you. And, and and may he walk with you in this new year Amen. and bring you all his blessings and grace that he can. Franklin, you are so God gracious. Bless you, Thank you, my friend. God bless you tonight as well. We appreciate Franklin calling in. Always has his unique perspective and, uh, and, and uh, a great sense of humor as well. Franklin, glad to hear from you. You can give us a call as well. 210-340-9585 is our phone number. Let's see if we can move quickly through some of these other parables and teachings of Jesus in in uh, the king teaching about the kingdom in the gospel of Matthew. We have the, the seeds that fell on the different kinds of soil. The, remember the, the seed, some of the seed fell in the path, mm-hmm. hard path. It didn't, some fell in the shallow soil. It took, began to take root, but then was burned out by the sun. Some grew up in the thorns and it got choked out by the weeds around it. And then there was the good soil. And that's the different responses that people have to the gospel. Are we open? Are we receptive? And and I think not only evangelistically, but even as believers, we need to nurture good soil in our hearts that we're ready and eager to hear from God and trust God and obey the Lord, that we need to nurture to become good soil so that we can give out a great, great Produce. We can create a great harvest from our own lives uh, of 
10 times, 30 times, 60 times, even a hundredfold, uh, as the Bible says. So we have that wonderful teaching about the different soils. There is an interesting uh, parable that Jesus tells about, um, he says that a farmer uh, kind of puts to, puts out his seed, he uh, a field of wheat, for example, and and then during the night, some uh, an evil one comes and wicked people come, and they plant weeds, tares. We at the word the old King James word, but they plant weeds out in the the wheat, mm-hmm. and and then his workers come and said, someone is coming and plant uh, weeds in your wheat field. Should we pull the wheat? Should we go through and pull the weeds out? And Jesus and, and, and Jesus and the owner of the of the wheat field says, no, don't do that because you might harm some of the wheat in, in the young wheat, the growing wheat in the field. If you pull the weeds out now, you might harm the wheat. Just let the both of them let them grow up together. And then in the end time, the the at the harvest time, uh will separate them. And then he talked about the angels uh, judging and casting the weeds and the tares into the fire. Uh, and that's a very interesting parable because that is the age, that's the time in which we are now living. And we are living in the time of harvest when the, the seed is being sown, the gospel all over the world. And so this is a time when we're not to be uh, you know, uh, legalistic and we'll just make everybody dot every I, cross every T. If you don't do this, you're not a Christian and you, you know, try to tell who's a Christian and who's not a Christian. Uh, of course, within some limitation there, we want to, in the church and for example, Discern. we want to right. see some, some evidence of, uh, fruit of the spirit and fruit of God working in their lives. But we're not to be, this is not a time to be separating and judging necessarily who's wheat and who's weeds. This is a time to be proclaiming the message as broadly, as attractively, as aggressively as we can, sharing the message and letting the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. This is not the time for the, uh, to separate. And, and, and I think that is actually the, the message of that, that parable. It, right. And that's and the characteristics great, of, of yeah, this era. And a great overarching, I think, message of, I mean, of, of, of the gospels of Matthew of Jesus's time was um, what, what, I mean, was the kingdom of God. I mean, ultimately, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. who establishes what Matthew it is, in particular right, is all is, about. We are a part of the kingdom of God. We do not establish the kingdom of God. We are not the farmer. We are not the owner of the, and, uh, and I do think, I mean, so many we're the his, workmen in the fields, right? Right, right. right. Well, hey, we're the wheat, or we're the wheat, or the <laughs> yeah, that too, <laughs> that too. But it is amazing how so many of his parables, um, it is about farming and about marriage, both of which mm, interesting pro- produce fruit. Uh-huh. I mean, farming is a what? What is? How do you know if it's good? How do you know if it's? And and that's what I love about Jesus's teaching and about the gospel. At, at, itself is that it is both it's very um profound and mysterious in many ways and miraculous but at the same time very practical it doesn't get mm-hmm. more practical than planting and harvesting it doesn't yeah. get more practical than marriage and falling in and love and, and getting married right yeah, and, and and producing and being fruitful and multiplying 
And it just, but it doesn't mean that those two things can, will automatically be done correctly. I mean, and, yeah. and so it's a, it's an interesting, I think, way to both live life while also seeing his man, his, his presence and his, in other words, walking by faith and then very clearly seeing the fruits of whether, you, you know, of, of, of a life that is dependent on the true, uh, God, the one God, the gospel, or, you know, decisions that are not. <laughs> and exactly. over and over, you know, the, the different, um, the marriage feast, uh, the parables of, of the seeds. Yeah. Um, parables about common, normal, everyday life that, that made truths that, that came out so clearly. Jesus was, was masterful of these. Yeah. Uh, he tells another one, one of my favorites has always been, about the mustard seed, if you have yeah. faith like a mustard seed, you, you know, and, and he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed because in and of itself, it's very simple and very small. Even a child, I was eight years old when yeah. I heard the gospel and understood it. I knew I wanted to give my life. I wanted to know God and, and, and I wanted to, Jesus to be my savior, to come into my heart as, a, as an eight-year-old child. And, and so an, a, a child can understand the simplicity of the, of the kingdom message of the gospel. But at the same time, as I've grown older now and, and, and walked with the Lord these many years in that simple gospel, I, I see how it's all-encompassing. Mm -hmm. It touches my marriage. It touches my children. It touches my home, my finances. It touches my my. My skills, my interests in life, music, traveling, other people, it, it, politics, government. Mm -hmm. You can see that the gospel is all encompassing and that it, its impact is over all of our life. And yet, in its essence, it's still very simple. And uh, Jesus uses a little mustard seed to point that out. When it's tiny, it's small, but when it grows up, it's a huge tree and all the birds of the air find a nest within it. So uh, again, just this beautiful, perfect imagery. Let's see what else, what other parables we see. Well, and I, I would say, so how would you say, because um, it, it can be and towards the end when Jesus is and talking about, um, even his second coming and kind of what will yes. he warns about. We better jump to that because yeah. that's a characteristic of these chapters we read in chapter 24, 25, 26. Uh, toward the, Jesus begins to speak about the future. He begins to say what's going to happen. Right. And well, there are a lot of people have a lot of interest right. in And even when you talk about these faith, and he mentions and he talks about false messiahs and false gospels and false teachers. And uh, I guess I just... You know, when you talk about faith and yeah. and the fruits of it, sometimes we tend to jump to, well, the fruits of that then are going to be good or going to be. And you can slip into a prosperity gospel very easily or you can slip into um, different you know, teachings that aren't healthy and good and fruitful in a in a good way what would you say i guess and we don't have much time we mm -hmm. have about one minute <laughs> so, yeah. um but what would be the essence of you know of recognizing that it is that it is that it is jesus that it is god it is the truth that you were putting your faith in and what would be the fruits that, yeah what, hard question we'll talk about it next okay. week further but primarily is it Consistent with the Bible, uh -huh. is it God honoring, Christ exalting? Mm -hmm. um, those would life, be my two. Giving, I would say, and life 
giving and life giving sustainable life. or transforming mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's and all we have for tonight folks thank you for being with us god bless see you next sunday night here on the bible live mailing address is p.o box 18888 that's box 18888 san antonio texas 78218 hear the entire bible every year on the bible live weeknights at 9 30 on this great station Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.